Hello, Hill City. My name is Corey Goss, and I'm part of the team here. We are so glad that you were online with us this morning. We want you to know that Hill City is a safe place for you to get to know Jesus. So if you are curious and have any doubts, questions, or fears, we would be honored to talk with you through those things. If you have been watching with us, we want to check in with you and see how you are doing. You can fill out a connection card on our website and help get you connected with other people. All right? Today, we got a few songs and then our next message in our sermon series. Thanks for being here.
Good morning. Good morning, Hill City. You guys are rowdy this morning. You guys are just like, I'm not going to listen to any announcements. I'm just going to keep talking to my friend that I came with. Um, So if you came with a friend today, just so you know, I'm going to remind you again, but we have smoothies outside, free smoothies after, free smoothies is hard to say, free smoothies outside after the service. And here's my challenge to you. Stand out there with your three friends that you came with and then get up some courage and meet like one person. So if you could just meet one person and and find out their name and where they're from or whatever. Um, I know that when you come to a big church, it can feel like there's just, there is like something about the um, being able to be anonymous, which is really safe for people, especially when they're new to their faith or you're just trying to figure out church or this church. But I just wanna encourage you, just one person at a time, if you just get to know somebody, it's gonna make this place feel more like home. And we want you to know that that's what we're here to do. We're not gonna do it perfectly. Um, We're not gonna do it perfectly. And we're not gonna agree on everything, but we do want this to be a place where you feel safe to come as you are and to feel like this is a safe place to explore your faith because that's what we're about. So my name is Nicole Eunice. I'm part of the team here, and I'm really, really excited to bring you the message today. We are in the book of Mark. We're in a sermon series that we titled, Won't He Do It? Uh, Mark is an action-packed book about Jesus's life and ministry and what he's really about. It's a gospel. That's the four books at the beginning of the New Testament. So if you're not a person who's read your Bible or you've never read it before, even though you've been in church, the gospels are a great place to start because it really gives us an understanding of what we're doing here and what our faith is about. And today's passage where we are in Mark chapter eight is an absolute hinge point in Jesus' ministry. The point that we're gonna look at today, this passage, is an absolute clear and plain description of what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus makes it incredibly clear, incredibly plain. This is the first time in the gospel up until this point that he actually does this. He's been speaking in stories and parables. He's been healing. We're gonna look a little bit at that. He's been establishing his authority. We're gonna look a little bit at that. But today is truly about what does it mean and how does Jesus define leadership? And what does it look like to be loyal to him and to love him? And so there are parts of today that may be challenging. So I want you to know that if you are sort of exploring faith, you're gonna hear what it really means to follow Jesus. And one of the things that you might hear today, you might think to yourself, I don't think that I've seen Christians do that. And that's why I'm saying today, all of us together, we're not gonna do it perfectly but Jesus has given us a way to real life, to true life, to full life, and that way may be surprising to us. It is the way of the cross. Since Jesus's death and resurrection, generation after generation, literally billions of people have staked their life on this claim, that this is who Jesus is, and this is what it means to be a Christian. It's actually become a popular, um, captivating idea to the world, this idea of a Christ figure. And if you've been in a AP English class, although I, really that was a waste of time for me. I just really wanted a prom date. I had no idea what was happening in any of that literature. But if you've been in that, you might recognize or know that actually the use of a Christ figure is a very popular literary tool now. All through books and movies, there's this idea of a Christ figure, and that concept is this leader of self-sacrifice and redemption. That's a new idea that was introduced with Jesus, and now the world is sort of captivated by it. We see it in literature, Uncle Tom from Uncle Tom's Cabin. 
haven't read it, I think it's probably really good. Um, I, I just say it because some of you guys are like, I don't know. It's good. I just read, I just read um, To Kill a Mockingbird. That thing is really good. The Old Man and the Sea, if you read that. I'm going to hit something that you've seen, I promise. Okay, next one. Here we go. Anyone know this one? Yeah. Do you guys remember the name of this movie? Green Mile. Remember his name, John Coffey? What were his in initials? JC. There's a, a long rabbit hole on the internet where you can find all of the ways that Christ illusions happen. Here we go. How about Marvel heroes? Lots of those guys, right? You guys wrote in to me on Instagram, told me your favorite Christ figure. Here we go. How do you like this? In the form of a crucifix. And then in this next photo, he's being carried. Do you notice the wounds in his side? And then, of course, last but certainly not least, Sir Harry Potter. That is an actual popular art piece that Harry Potter represents a Christ figure, perhaps the one that we would know the most. So this question of who is Jesus is a question that the world asks. It's a question that is intriguing. And as Christians, as followers, as people who are maybe interested in following Jesus, it would be of central importance to us that we understand and answer three questions for ourselves. This is to me the heart of the good news, the gospel, what it means to your life and to your death are these three questions. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to me? And what will I do about it? And today the passages that we're looking at are asking these questions of us. So if you have your Bible and you wanna turn or your phone, we're gonna be in Mark chapter eight today. And if you're a note taker, if that helps you pay attention, you can get ready, we're gonna take some notes. We're gonna just explore this passage together. It's quite long, it's got a lot in it, but I think there's um, hopefully a way that we're gonna see what's happening here in a progression, okay? So right before this, like I said, Jesus has been teaching, he's been healing, he's been doing miracles, he's been calling, calling his his followers to him, and we're going to pick up in verse 27, Mark 8, verse 27. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say that I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. And then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. By the way, those are the three religious groups of the day. And that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. We looked at this last time I preached, but when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels." 
Jesus loves me, this I know, and I want you to remember that as you read this passage. Sometimes when we hear these words, right, they're strong, we think, wait a second, is this the Jesus I know? Well, is it? Is this the Jesus you know? That might be the question really for all of us. I love the way the book of Mark opens, Mark 1.1, just to give us context, to remind us of what's happening as we read this passage. The beginning of the good news. The whole book of Mark is the beginning of the good news. We are the middle of the good news. The culmination of the good news is Jesus' return, when he will establish his full authority on earth and we will experience a new heaven and a new earth. Friends, I think that we forget that we have a limited amount of time on this earth, but our soul is eternal. And we've been living in a generation, perhaps two generations, where we were kind of making it good here in our culture and in America. Maybe we were gonna go ahead and establish the kingdom of heaven on earth, and there is a part of our theology that is about the way we advance the kingdom, and it is about the way that we bring Christ to the world. But let us not forget that this is temporary. We are all going to die. I just want you to know, every single one of us, all of us, and you can put anti-aging moisturizer on your face, but we're still gonna die. Like, you just have to know that. And I just think in this time right now, like we're just like living in this fear. Ugh. And I'm like, guys, we're all going to die. And, and Jesus is like, we, we have to keep, this is the beginning of the good news. For an eternity, there is a long, long thing ahead of us, and this is part, one part of it. And so when Mark starts off and says, hey, this is the beginning, what Jesus is saying is, I wanna make sure that I give you a paradigm shift about what actually matters in your life, your eternal life, not just your earthly life, although your earthly life matters. So up to this point in the story, the way that Mark lays out the gospel is that he is building this fundamental thing that we need to understand about Jesus, and it's Jesus' demonstrated authority. Now many to most of us have issues with authority. So this should be a challenge. And so how does Jesus deliberately establish his authority, his power, his ability to speak into the things of heaven, his ability to speak to things of God? He establishes his authority over spiritual needs. He drives out demons starting in Mark chapter one. He establishes his authority over physical needs. He provides healing for sickness, and he provides snacks when people are hungry. <laughs> he provides his authority over religion. He reinterprets the law in a way that astonishes religious leaders and captivates his followers. He says, I know you've heard it said this, but I tell you this. I, I know you've heard it said this, but I tell you this. He fulfills the law. He brings heart to the law. He establishes his authority over nature. This astonishes his disciples. As we heard John teach, he actually stills the wind and the waves. And he establishes his authority over death. He actually raises a little girl from the dead. He has authority over his followers. He delegates to them power to also heal and cast out demons and teach and preach. And most of us would follow along to this point, but as they're walking along, Jesus then challenges their understanding of his authority. 
He says, who do people say that I am? And Peter finally answers, you are the Messiah, right? Right before this conversation that they have, very interesting, Jesus heals a deaf and a mute man, and he also heals a blind man. And this is important to our understanding of the story because there was a prophecy made in the Old Testament in the book of Isaiah. So Isaiah was written 650 to 700 years before Jesus' life. And in that book, there's all of this telling of the future of what's gonna come with this Messiah. And here's one of the things that was said in Isaiah 35. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. And then the lame will leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. And I, I don't know if the disciples put two and two together. I'm not really sure that they did. But very, very deliberately, the way that Mark lays out the story, we see this authority of Jesus established in every single realm of the world. And then his authority is established that he is actually the one who was prophesied about, that he can do something that people can't do. He can make someone who is blind see. He can make someone who is deaf be able to speak and to be able to hear. So Peter, most likely, he was speaking on behalf of all the other disciples. He was like, you are the Messiah. But here's the thing, you guys. Jesus being the Messiah at that time could mean a lot of things. It means something to us now, right, the way that we hear it. And maybe with those allusions to books and movies, we have this idea of a Messiah. But the idea then was that a Messiah was an anointed one of God. But people had really different ideas of what a Messiah would mean at that time. Perhaps this is the reason Jesus didn't actually use the reference that, that much for himself. At that time, Messiah could mean like a warrior king it could mean a restoration of whatever image an Israelite had shaped for what his country would look like or his nation, his tribe. Most likely, whatever rescue, whatever redemption, whatever revenge you wanted was the shape of your Messiah. And that's why it's important to know that it was not enough to know that Jesus is the Messiah. The disciples needed to know what it meant to follow this Messiah. And the reason I believe that Peter rebuked Jesus was because his understanding of what a Messiah would be was so totally different than what Jesus said when he began to speak plainly. I think Jesus absolutely shattered his image of what a Messiah would do. Because what did Jesus say? Remember, he said, listen, you don't have in mind the concerns of God, but the concerns of men. So now I'm gonna speak to you plainly about the concerns of God. And this is when he said, the religious leaders will betray me, I will be killed, and on the third day I will raise again. The way of the cross is so commonplace to us because if we've been in the church, we can just miss what this actually means, but I want to encourage you, church, that this should be a wrestling for you to understand why the way of the cross why couldn't Jesus just come and establish his authority and we just all would follow him, right? We're so used to this idea of this self-sacrificing redemptive leader that we can sometimes miss how totally mind-blowing this would be 
for what a disciple would have wanted at the time. Like, aren't you a leader that we're gonna be able to follow? Aren't we gonna establish this thing and you're gonna use your authority to bring this rule and this law to the world? And that is not what Jesus was going to do. Jesus reveals that the good news would come to be by Jesus suffering and dying, and that's the trajectory of his leadership. And guess what, guys? He tells us that's the trajectory of our following as well. And that is the challenge. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says this, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So when Peter rebukes Jesus, I think he's responding to how outlandish it would be that at the height of Jesus' popularity, I mean, he is just getting started He says, no, this is the way that it's going to be. I'm gonna be betrayed and killed. And that's the way of the cross. Like that's the only way it can be because that is the way of God. Uh, Some commentators would say that the way that this is designed when Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, it's because when he was tempted in the desert, if you know that story, Jesus, before he came into his public ministry, he spent 40 days in the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan. And one of those temptations was to do his authority the way that the world likes authority. Establish your authority on earth, Jesus. And perhaps the reason he said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, is it was a nod back to that temptation to establish his authority the way the world wants it established to be what the world wants you to be. Does that sound familiar to anyone? This is a temptation for us all, including in the church. What we are seeing happening right now, if you're following along, and if you're not, just don't, but if you are following along in the evangelical church, and you know what is happening as people are falling from power, they have in mind the concerns of men. God is calling us to have in mind the way that he establishes leadership. This should be challenging to you. If you were raised in the church and you came to be a Christian at Vacation Bible School, I am so glad that you have had the opportunity to live in the faith for your life. But I want you to know as an adult, I hope that you are reading this and being challenged by it and asking why did it have to be this way? Why did it have to be this way? Why did Jesus have to suffer a brutal death? Why did he have to be betrayed in every way? What is there for me to learn in that? And I'm not gonna answer that question for you today. I want you to wrestle with that and understand that. Because if you're selling Jesus like a timeshare salesman in the way that you're living your life, in the way that you're living for your friends and what you think church is about, then we are not actually following the authority of Jesus because he speaks very clearly about how it's actually going to be. You see, Jesus' authority is displayed in full glory. We're actually gonna see that next week. When he speaks of life and when he speaks of death and when he speaks about the concerns of God, he's actually using his authority to create validity. Authority creates validity. It means that we can follow that authority. When you have the power of authority, you also have the power to state what is true. Now here is the problem, my friends. We are in an authority crisis right now. 
We were already rebels, and now we don't know who to listen to. We're like, who can I listen to? Who can I trust? Is it politicians? Can I trust politicians? Can I trust the press? Can I trust the police? I don't know. Is anybody telling me the truth? Our culture is absolutely crushed under the weight of not knowing where to find authority, and we as Christians are as tempted to fall into that as anybody else. And yet we say we claim Jesus, who establishes his authority, not only with his life, but also with his death. And we have got to understand and wrestle through, how do I respond to authority as a person? I need to know that because it's gonna affect my theology. There's a book by Gretchen Rubin, and she writes about, she actually writes about personality and temperament, but I really think it's about relationship with authority. And she kind of gives these idea of these four tendencies that we can have in our temperament, okay? She calls these four tendencies the upholder, the questioner, the obliger, or the rebel. The obliger is a person who wants to make sure that they meet any outward expectations of themselves, even if they don't have them on the inside. So you can count on me, and I am counting on you to be counting on me. The questioner is not gonna meet outward expectations unless they feel it on the inside. And that's a person who's gonna ask the questions. They're gonna need to understand the authority. If you, I'll comply if you can convince me why it's the right thing to do. The upholder, is the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day. The upholder wants to meet inner expectations and outer expectations. They love authority. They want to uphold that discipline. They find freedom by following authority. And the rebel is you can't make me and neither can I. (laughs) Neither likes inner expectations nor outer expectations. So I just encourage you to find yourself somewhere in here. And here's why. Because no matter where you find yourself here, your relationship to authority will be challenged by Jesus. If you are an upholder, you'll wonder why he's breaking the rules. If you are a questioner, you might wonder why God requires a sacrifice. If you are a rebel, you will chafe at the idea that you need someone to do something for you that you can't do for yourself. And if you are an obliger, you are uncomfortable, that everyone's uncomfortable, and you just wanna do something for Jesus. And into that mess comes Jesus. And he clears the deck with the question, who do you say that I am? He's asking, who am I to you? And after he asks, who am I to you, he calls the whole crowd to himself, not just his disciples. He calls and invites everyone And he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. In Luke chapter nine, it actually says, must deny themselves and take up their cross daily, which I like for us today, that this is an ongoing work. To be a disciple is denying themselves, taking up their cross and following me. So whatever in the world does this mean? Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Everyone in earshot of Jesus, he declares, this is what it means to be a disciple. He has demonstrated his authority and now he's going to give a new paradigm for what it means to live a good life, and here is the paradigm. Whatever it looks like for you to gain the whole world, whatever that means, 
gaining the whole world might look like a passionate relationship or peace around your dinner table or plenty of money and plenty of money to retire. It might look like a blue check on your social media or the right sneakers or just this vague longing to be desired or admired or powerful or safe. And what Jesus says with all his authority is that you can pile all of that stuff in one place and it is all trash compared to what it means to lose your soul. You can take everything that the whole world means to you and every single thing that would be and you can put it all on one side and that will be nothing but trash compared to what it means to follow me, compared to what it means to live with your soul intact. And I think, friends, as we listened to this and as I prayed this week about it, I was like, guys, we have to hear this with the affection of God. Not with like the, the, the condescension or sort of wrath of God. This is with the affection of God who says, oh, if you knew, if you could understand that those things that you are seeking are so empty if you're forfeiting your soul for them. It's not said with anger, it's said with love. When Jesus says, anyone who wants to follow me must deny himself, meaning you must remove yourself as the center of your world. You have to decenter yourself as the thing. And anyone who would do that, you're, you're gonna gain this whole world. And all that other stuff is just gonna seem so small. It's gonna seem like trash compared to your heart, your eternal part of you actually feeling well. He validates his authority through his power over sickness, over storms, over spiritual entities. He validates his authority for the joy set before him to endure the cross. He scorns the shame of the cross. And he calls us to scorn the shame of the cross as well. He says, if you're gonna follow me, you're gonna decenter yourself as the center of the universe. And then you're gonna pick up your cross, meaning you're gonna bear the weight of a self-sacrificing life. And you're gonna follow me into a totally new paradigm for your life. And guess what? That paradigm for your life is gonna be as challenging the first day you do it as the last day you do it. But I'm gonna be with you. And here is where I feel like we've kind of sometimes candy-coated the whole story, like Jesus is my life coach, and like Jesus is so awesome. Yes, Jesus is so awesome. But Jesus has authority, and his authority creates validity. And that means he actually gets to tell us how it is. He actually has the authority to tell us how it is. Even when we don't fully understand it, there's a reason in the book of Isaiah, it says God's ways are not our ways and his ways are higher than our ways. And we should look at this whole story and be like, why did it have to be that way? But because of the authority of Jesus, because of my experience of Jesus, because he has the authority to forgive sin, because he has the authority to release me from shame, because he has the authority to free me from guilt, because he has the authority to help me understand what forgiveness really looks like, because he has the authority to bring compassion into my heart because he has the authority to actually help me love people that I do not like. I mean, truly, because he has that authority, he gets to say how it is. And how it is, is you'll deny yourself, take up your cross daily, 
and follow him. And guess what? It's hard. It's supposed to be. <laughs> it's actually supposed to be hard. <laughs> and the reason that it is supposed to be hard is because the only qualification for us in following Jesus is that we would understand our own poverty in following Jesus. Jesus' authority is the ability to tell us how it is. Our qualification is our own lack, our own lack of being able to do it without him. Isaiah 53, that prophet that I told you about before, look at what it said about this Messiah that would come that people had conveniently forgotten when they were thinking of Jesus establishing his earthly kingdom. Look at what it says in verse 10 and 11, Isaiah 53. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord made his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. And after he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. The foolishness of the cross, the mystery of the cross, the way of the cross is this. Jesus will justify many. And by many, I mean you and me and the generations that have gone before us and the generations that will come. And he will bear our iniquities. Iniquity means our wrong behavior. He will bear it upon himself he will take it upon himself, not only the sin, but also the shame of the sin. He will be a first and final offering for our sin in a way that gives us freedom. And the whole story of the Bible is full of this treasure of understanding the way of the cross. And if you haven't heard that part of your Christianity, well, buckle up because it is so good. And when you see the scope of history and the way that God has laid it out that hinges truly on the way of the cross, that has captivated people who follow Jesus and people who don't follow Jesus ever since, then you'll know that inside of this message that is just foolishness to the world is actual, real, true life. It is actual good news. Jesus started his ministry with these words from Luke, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. To be poor is to know that you lack resources that you need. What resources do you need in your life right now? Anybody need a little compassion? Anyone feeling a little weary, a little worn thin? feeling discouraged or cynical or despairing. To be poor is to lack resources that you need for living. This resource may be your point of view, your money, your looks, your education, your standing in the world. But here is the good news about knowing our poverty. C.S. Lewis said it this way, as long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. Jesus' authority creates validity to tell us what this good life looks like, and this good life looks like radical self-denial and painful, sacrificial love, which is absolute foolishness in the world's eyes. In a world that loves likes, Jesus Christ says, follow me, 
deny yourself every single day and take up your cross to follow me. And what he's doing is something that nothing else in the world can do for you. He's redeeming you. He's calling you precious and valuable. He gives you a new identity. He imparts the power of the Holy Spirit for your living. He gives you forgiveness. He lifts the weight of guilt off your life. To be poor is to recognize our actual position and accept the invitation of Jesus, which is repent and believe the good news. So we started with three questions. Who is Jesus? The world is captivated by who Jesus is, and there are many, many, many images of what it means that he's the Messiah. But the real question is, who's Jesus to me? Does Jesus have the authority in my life to have the validity to tell me how it actually is? Whether I feel like it or not, am I willing to accept his authority? Am I willing to wrestle through my own issues with authority to say, absolutely, Jesus Christ has authority in my life. He has authority to tell me what a good life looks like. He has authority to tell me what it looks like to follow him every single day. Not only that, but he has the authority to forgive my sin as I will fall short again and again and again. But here's the good news. Jesus came for the poor. And when we are poor in spirit, we are close to Jesus. Jesus will be exalted and glorified ultimately. But it's the shame of the cross that validates his authority to not only define what matters for our death, but also what matters for our life. To be a follower of Jesus is to imitate the way of the cross, to embrace the gospel in its fullness and to live it out. Romans 1.16 says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. And let me tell you, my friends, this witness is powerful in our world. I wanna close with a story some of you guys may have heard. It's about a man named Daryl Davis. He's a black blues musician and an author. He's a Christian. And he has spent the majority of his career in conversation with KKK members. More than 200 of them have left the Klan, and he has at least 30 or 40 who sent him their robes when they left the Klan. And when people ask him, Daryl, why do you do this? He says, if we don't have conversation, we will never have conflict resolution. He tells a story about a Klansman that he befriended. He actually met him at a bar when they were playing music. And they were in a conversation together and the Klansmen who had been brainwashed by all that is about that whole system said, Daryl, you're violent because black people have a violent gene. And Daryl said, no, I'm not violent. And he said, no, it's because the gene is latent. It's just black people are more violent. It's in their genetics. And so Daryl thought for a while and he said to his friend, hey, um, can you name three black serial killers? And the guy said, no. He goes, yeah, because all serial killers are white men. So, and the guy said back to him, I'm not a, kill, I'm not a killer. He goes, oh yeah, it's because the gene is latent. And the guy was like, that's so stupid. And he was like, yeah, and it's stupid that you would think that of black people. I mean, if you want to see an example of someone who decided to live his life, to deny himself, take up his cross, and follow Jesus. 
to say, I'm going to be willing to step in where other people don't, and I'm going to be willing to show love and to understand and to have empathy for where people are. Do you know how revolutionary that would be right now in 2021 in Richmond, Virginia? If we didn't look at each other with judgment, but with empathy, if I didn't just go on my social media to just blast whoever I want who's not doing whatever the thing is that I think that they should be doing right now, and actually just decided, I'm gonna stand out at the smoothie truck and find out somebody's name. Truly, that's what I mean when I'm talking about taking up your cross daily, denying yourselves, waking up in the morning and saying, Jesus, this is the day that I give to you. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come on up. We're gonna close with a song in just a minute, but I just wanna invite you in this passage, which has had a lot in it, and I don't expect every single thing here this morning to be like this for you, but whatever the Spirit is doing in your heart right now, in whatever way that God is just calling you to something more, we're just gonna take a minute so that you can let that settle for you. And then I love that we're closing with worship today because worship is really our communal uh, response to the Word of God. Um, so you, you hear others' voices around you and that is encouraging to our faith, but it's also an opportunity for you to connect with God with whatever He has for you today from His Word. So let's pray together and then we'll take a moment of quiet. Father, let this just be... Um, just an opening to our own prayer as we take this minute. God, for the hearts in this room, Lord, I pray that they would just hear your affection for them combined with your authority to actually, to help us know how to navigate this world and to help us know what it means to be Christ followers, to be little Christ's all around the world, as C.S. Lewis says, that the work of the church is to, is to transform us into little Christs everywhere we go. So Father, whatever you have to speak with us this morning, would you speak to us now, open our hearts to receive you. Thank you so much for watching with us this morning. If you are out there and have questions, prayer needs, or wanna get better connected, just check in on our website. Seriously, it's really that simple. Just go to the website. That's right. Influencers Weekend is back. If you haven't bought your tickets yet, there's still time. Go to InfluencersRVA.com to learn more. See you next week.